Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode 104. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is TNC for the week of December 9th. Let's get into some news and notes. So one thing I just saw today that kind of cracked me up was a press release from Mauricio Suleiman with the WBC slamming HBO for making the fight between Orlando Salido and uh, Mickey Roman a 10-rounder instead of a 12-rounder because WBC, I believe, wanted to make this an interim title fight. And I'm not sure exactly how this went down. I'm not sure if it was because HBO is concerned about having those extra two rounds for Salido and Roman. Salido especially has been in a lot of tough fights. Or if this was a timing thing, I don't believe that would have anything to do with it because they're a premium cable channel and they can make a show as long or as short as they want. They don't have to adhere to any scheduling issues, right? So it's not like it's network TV. So I'm not exactly sure why they did this. I don't mind it. I'm not particularly excited about the Salida Roman fight. I mean, look, I'm excited. I'm going to watch it. I think that it's going to be a good action fight. I don't think it's going to quite live up to the expectations some are have some have for it, and I'll talk about that later in the preview portion of this episode. But I don't mind it being a 10-round fight. And I just kind of find it hilarious that Mauricio Suleiman went on this diatribe and put out this press release saying, oh, screw HBO, they don't have the right, a TV network doesn't have the right to change the amount of rounds a fight is, blah, blah, blah. Mauricio, stop smoking crack. HBO is a premium cable network. They are putting up the money to put the fight on. They absolutely have the right to say, we don't want to do 12 rounds, we want to do 10 rounds. As long as there's some legitimate reason, nobody in their right mind thinks Orlando Salido or Mickey Roman are the two best fighters in the 130 pound weight class. So what's the big deal here? I, don't, I mean, why should it be for a title anyway, or an interim title? You just wanna get your money from the sanctioning fee for this fight. So just hearing any, anybody, in either the WBC or WBA particularly, but any sanctioning body, bitch and moan about some move a network is making when the network's putting up their own money to buy these fights. The WBC, the WBA, they're collecting money from these fights. I always find that particularly hypocritical and just honestly kind of pathetic. Kind of pathetic. All right, also in the news, uh, Manny Pacquiao is establishing the Manny Pacquiao International Boxing Academy, or the PIBA, PIBA, Pacquiao International Boxing Academy, in China to help develop and promote boxing in that country. Now, you know, uh, with, with Top Rank, you know, Manny Pacquiao is with Top Rank, and they had Zhou Ming, and they started a market going there in Macau, and they're trying to build something up in China. I think this is a really, really smart move. Pacquiao is a senator with the Philippines. The Philippines and China have a touchy history and there's been some things going on right now in the South China Sea and all kinds of stuff that I could get into politically, but I won't. So um, obviously Pacquiao representing his country, the Philippines, trying to work with China here, extend an olive branch. I kind of like this deal. I also like going into a country that has over a billion people in it, a lot of men because, well, I won't get into politics about the way women are treated there, but over a billion people in that country 
and getting them interested in boxing and having an ambassador like Manny Pacquiao, even though he's not Chinese, but he's from that part of the world, getting someone like him involved, I like that idea. You guys know I've been talking about the China market for a while. I really, really do think that we're gonna see more and more high-level boxers coming from that part of the world in over the next decade or so. More drama from Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, blah, blah, blah. These two guys talking back and forth, and a lot of you out there are getting caught up in the hoopla, the back and the forth, the trash talk between these guys as they negotiate this eventual super fight on social media. It's the exact same process that played out with Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. It's kind of the new age we live in with these big super fights and how this is going to happen. They will be negotiated partially through the media. So I guess this week Wilder said he wants a 50-50 split from Anthony Joshua to take that fight. He and his people, Uncle Al, they know they're not going to get 50% when they eventually fight Anthony Joshua. Not happening. Particularly if in 2018 AJ fights Joshua Parker, which I think he will. Or I'm sorry, Joseph Parker, which I think he will. They're actually negotiating that fight right now. Parker wants 35%. I think they're going to settle on 30%. I think that's going to be a 70-30 split. Once Joshua beats Parker, which I believe he will, and collects that extra title, he will technically have three of the titles. We don't look at what Manuel Char did with the WBA or Freza Kendo if he eventually gets that regular WBA title. We don't care. Anthony Joshua will have three of the four titles, and he will have beat the last great heavyweight, Vladimir Klitschko. Deontay Wilder will have a title that he's been holding hostage for years now, which, quite frankly, the people who held it before him going back a while uh, weren't that strong themselves. That title's been pretty much not worth a damn in a long, long time, at, in the heavyweight division anyway, the WBC. So Wilder knows when they eventually fight, which I think will be in the spring of 2019, he ain't getting no damn 50-50. Him saying this right now is a way for him to promote the fight AJ's going to come back and say something. Eddie Hearn's going to say things. Um, Deontay Wilder's trainer is going to say things. These guys are going to be drawn back and forth over the next year or so. You guys are going to see sound bites from clickbait sites like Boxing Scene and stuff like that to get people talking. It's all part of the promotion to build this thing up. So don't get so caught up in it, all right? Don't get too mad about the statements Wilder's making. He knows he ain't getting no 50%. Not a whole lot going out with news, guys. We're going toward the end of the year. There's some fights coming together early next year, but not that much with news and notes. So let's get right into the review of what took place around the world last week in the ring. Last Thursday, November 30th, at the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland, Lamont Roach improves his record to 16-0 with six knockouts. Unanimous decision over Filipino veteran a rugged, durable fighter, Ray Perez. Perez was perfect matchmaking for Roach at this stage of his career. This is a great fight for a prospect to have. Uh, Perez came in there, gave great rounds, took punishment, but kept on coming, and really early on was giving some good pressure to Roach. Roach, to his credit, fighting in front of his hometown fans, he's from DC, right there in that area, uh, responded. Sometimes prospects get a, little, get a little shook in that situation, right? 
But early on, it was a competitive fight. In the middle rounds, he started to really, really find his range and really his rhythm. He was in a beautiful, beautiful rhythm. And he swept the late rounds. He, he completely dominated the later rounds. Roach, great performance from him, got in good quality rounds. The one thing he lacks is world-class elite level power. And that's gonna cost him against the best in that 130 pound division, which is stacked right now. You're kind of seeing a changing of the guard in that division. Some of these old uh, veterans who have been in wars recently, we, Miura just retired, right? Orlando Salido's on his way out. A lot of these guys who have been in the popular wars in the last few years, they're phasing out and these new prospects are coming up. Of course, Vasil Lomachenko is the man in that division, but he kind of defies divisions right now. He's a pound-for-pound kind of guy, and he's going to start going where the fights are. I believe he'll be at 135 by the end of next year anyway. Uh, so for Roach, I definitely think he can win titles in that division, but I think at some point that lack of uh, elite, world-class level power will cost him. But for right now, man, looks great. Um, Javante Davis, that's another name I forgot. How would he stack up once he's ready? He's nowhere near ready. How would he stack up against a Javante Davis? But actually, Javante Davis probably won't fight at 130 again himself. He's probably moving up to 135. So uh, really, really looking good for Lamont Roach. Great job in matchmaking by Golden Boy Promotions. This absolutely was not a layup assignment for a prospect. This was a tough, grizzled solid overall good just good professional prize fighter in Ray Perez to give a prospect like Roach a blue chipper he appears to be one some good quality rounds man good job by Golden Boy putting this fight on in the co-main Avery Sparrow who's a, a Philadelphia prospect wins a unanimous decision over Jose Lopez uh, in his biggest text or test to date he looked pretty good in that fight uh, not quite at Roach's level but I thought, hey, why not match these two up next? Why not? First quarter in 2018, put it right back on ESPN. This was another Golden Boy on ESPN card. Put it right back on ESPN. These two just fought on the same card. Have them fight each other. Why not? That's what prospects are supposed to do, right? Now, Saturday, December 2nd in Moscow, uh, I, I think these guys are brothers. Let me know. I, I can't find out if these guys are brothers or cousins. I believe they are brothers. But the last name is Bysangorov. Bysangorov. B-A-Y-S-A-N-G-U-R-O-V. Bysangorov brothers in Moscow. Both undefeated prospects. Uh, Kusain is at 154 pounds. And Kassan is at 160 pounds. They both won in knockouts in layup opponents for them. Uh, Kusain by Sangarov improves to 12 and 0 with 10 knockouts. He is seen as the more power punching of the two Russian brothers. Kassan by Sangarov improved to 15 and 0 with seven knockouts. So he's seen as more of the boxer of the two. But these guys uh, appear to be two prospects to keep an eye on. Hopefully, at some point next year, we can get them uh, on um, one of the major platforms in America on a card over here to get some people looking at it. Maybe on a show box or something like that. In the UK, undefeated 2012 Swedish Olympian, junior welterweight uh, prospect, Anthony Yigit, or Yigit, I'm not sure how to pronounce, improved to 21-0. He has one draw, only seven knockouts with a unanimous decision win over Joe Hughes. Undefeated prospect, Olympian, yeah, I don't know if, if this guy's worth really, really taking a hard look at, but 
We'll see what happens here. Um, it just seems to lack the world-class power and craft to get anything done at the, the next level. But let's see what happens. He's got, what, 22 pro fights now. Let's see if he steps it up in 2018. Obviously, the big card last weekend was here in the States, in New York City, in Manhattan, Madison Square Garden, not the theater, the actual arena where it was the farewell fight for Miguel Cotto, if you believe him, that this was the last fight of his illustrious career, a fan favorite. Before I get to that, though, the, the co-main Ray Vargas defends his WBC Super Bantamweight title or Junior Featherweight, whichever you prefer, against Oscar Negrete, improves to 31-0 with 22 knockouts. Uh, this was pretty much, a, I would say, 12-0 shutout. I mean, one judge had it 120-108. Two judges found around to give to Negrete 119-109. For Negrete, uh, the Colombian fighter who now lives here in the LA area, trains out here, um, he was moving up in weight. He was making a huge leap in opposition. He had to make this an ugly kind of fight, and that's what he did. He pressured Vargas all night long. He got in there with his head. He cut him on both eyes, not just one eye, but both eyes. Both cuts from headbutts that I don't think were at all intentional. It's just when you have a really short guy and a really tall guy and the short guy's barging in on you, those things are going to happen. I thought Vargas handled Negrete's pressure very, very well. Uh, Vargas is very tall for this division, has super freaky long arms. I mean, his arms, as tall as he is, his arms are freakishly long for that division. So um, it's hard sometimes when you've got a shorter guy coming in on you to wrap your long arms around and get inside shots. I've, so it means you have to move a lot. You have to move backwards a lot and you have to turn a lot. And it uses a lot of stamina. I thought Vargas was in great shape and did a great job doing that, using uh, movement to try to keep enough distance to land shots with his long arms. For those of you who are asking, because Vargas does have some acne on him, and a lot of you are asking, how does he make this weight being so tall? He is in the Vada Clean Boxing Program through the WBC. Uh, I do not know how many times he's been tested this year, but I can tell you just, I, I would safely assume it it's not more than once or twice, because uh, just the budget with the Clean Boxing Program, I don't know any fighters through that that have been tested uh, multiple times this year. So I would assume Vargas has only been tested a couple times, but the New York State Athletic Commission does their own testing. Uh, they don't do blood testing or anything like that, but no issues from Vargas, no history of issues, uh, anything performance enhance, enhancing drugs wise. So I don't think there's any reason to suspect anything at this point, no diuretics. And a lot of those diuretics will pop up at a simple urine test. So um, to me, guys, I mean, he doesn't really have big power. He's freakishly skinny and tall for that division, but I don't see any red flags. So yeah, the guy's 5'7", 70-inch reach. And right now, maybe he's the best in that division at 122 pounds. Jesse Magdaleno has the WBO title. He's with top rank. And Guillermo Rigando, who we'll talk about later in this episode, he might be out of the 122-pound weight class. His title might be vacant after this weekend. We'll talk more about that later as well, so I don't know. He has a WBA super title right now, and Daniel Roman, who's with Thompson Boxing, local promoter here in the LA area, he has the WBA regular. 
So Jesse Magdaleno, I, I would say it's a makeable fight a year ago, but now he's with top rank. They're over at ESPN. I don't know if that's a makeable fight. I'd like to see it. Daniel Roman, he hasn't been on HBO. He hasn't really been on American TV that much at all. He's been on those Thompson Boxing streamed cards, but I know him and his team would be more than willing to fight Ray Vargas. So I, I would like to see that fight. And I, I think uh, Roman is ready for that kind of a fight. So that's a fighter you could make. The no-brainer, though, the big, big fight, no-brainer for Ray Vargas, in my opinion, is Diego De La Hoya. Now, he has a fight coming up later this month on December 14th, but obviously he's with Golden Boy Promotions. He carries the De La Hoya name. They're building this guy up. They're getting him ready for a title shot. He's really, really battle-tested this year. He's traveled a little bit. He's stepped up his opposition. I think he's ready next year to fight Ray Vargas for this title. So there are options for Vargas and options for HBO, and we're definitely going to see this guy back on HBO very, very soon. So main event, Saddam Ali wins a unanimous decision over Miguel Cotto, wins his WBO Junior Middleweight Championship. The scores were 116-112, 115-113 two times. I myself scored at 115-113 for Ali. I thought that was the right score. Now he has that WBO title. Liam Smith, in the Battle of the Smiths that we had recently, uh, or I'm sorry, the Battle of the Liams, <laughs> Liam Smith versus Liam Williams, uh, Smith won that fight, and he that was an eliminator. So he is now the WBO mandatory for Saddam Ali. Ali's record now is 26-1 with 14 knockouts. You remember it was, what, last March when he fought Jesse Vargas, and he was a favorite in that fight, a big betting favorite. And I told you guys right here on this very show that Jesse Vargas was going to beat him. The gyms out here in L.A. were prepared Vargas so much better than the gym work Ali's getting out in New York, where the scene just isn't very good right now. It's just now at the elite level the L.A. gyms are. I don't even think it's as good as the Texas gyms right now. And I just knew that Vargas was going to win a fight, more so a style matchup. But at this point, with uh, Ali getting that extra weight, that was at 147 against Vargas, right? This was his first fight at 54. I thought with the extra weight, he absorbed Cotto's punches better. I thought that he had a smart game plan. And trainer Andre Rozier did a fantastic job in the corner. And you got to look at the great job Rozier did in this fight and it, the great job he did with Daniel Jacobs against Gennady Golovkin, I think that was in March of this year. Rozier is definitely a trainer who's coming into his own, and you got to consider the guy a top-level trainer right now. And he's got a couple of New York fighters that are doing very, very well. And I thought that he did a great job keeping Ali motivated and um, even getting it up in his ass a few times when Ali had Cotto buzzed or hurt and he didn't try to finish him. So Rozier did a great job. So let's talk about the actual fight. To me, what I saw, and there's, you know, different people have different opinions about this, but what I saw was Kodo, old man, starting slow and just looked lethargic and slow in the first few rounds, uh, for maybe the first three or four rounds. And I think it was the second round where Ali threw a, a perfectly straight right hand. He actually throws a really nice straight right hand. There's no power on it but it's very, very technically straight and sharp. And he caught Cotto. He kept catching Cotto high on the head 
in the fight. He never really got him on the chin. Got Cotto high on the head, kind of on the side of the head. It almost looked like it threw off his equilibrium. Cotto's legs started to get wobbly. Had him hurt right there. Cotto responded well and kind of woke up. And I thought by the end of the fourth into the fifth round, Cotto woke up and started throwing the left hook to the body. And when he started doing that, the fight instantly changed. It wasn't gradual. It was instant from what I saw. And Cotto completely took over control of the fight instantly once he started digging the left to the body. Ali was completely backing up. He was throwing back, but everything was on the back foot. It was pity pat. And Cotto was coming forward, landing the body shots, and those were setting up head shots. And I don't know if it was in the sixth or seventh round where Cotto landed the shot upstairs that pushed Ali back, and it physically backed him up a few steps into the ropes. And at that point, it looked as if, man, this fight might not go the distance. If Cotto keeps this up for three or four more rounds, he might get Ali out of there in the ninth, 10th, 11th round. That's what I was seeing. Then all of a sudden, Cotto stopped throwing the left hook to the body. And Ali worked his way back into the fight. And from rounds 8 to 12, uh, it was hard to give Cotto a round. He might have won a round or so in there. I thought maybe it was even after eight rounds, and I thought Cotto maybe won one round from the ninth to the 12th, maybe. So um, what changed, right? Now, some people are out there saying, no, Ali just had a better game plan and made adjustments. Some are saying Cotto was old and got tired, and he made his last little push in the sixth, seventh round, and then he shot his wad, and it was all he could do to survive. What I saw is the guy tear his left bicep, and it was a, gr a grotesque tear. It wasn't, min it wasn't minor. If you looked at Cotto after the fight, you could physically see his left bicep rolled up. It was completely detached from the elbow. So when your bicep is that detached, you have no leverage on that left hand. It's amazing that Cotto, in my opinion, finished the fight and was actually throwing jabs and stuff, but he could not dig to the body with that left hand. And that was how he was changing the fight in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Once that went away, he couldn't back Ali up the same way and set up other offense. So at that point, Ali could do, was doing just enough to win rounds and even dominated a couple of the later rounds. And that's how I thought he pulled out the fight. As I said before, this is probably an even fight going into the, maybe even into the championship rounds. I think that's how I had it on my card where maybe it was 5-5 um, five, five, and then I gave the last two rounds to Ali. I think so. Don't quote me on that. But I ended up seeing it 115-113 for Ali. So uh, good win for Ali. This was his big chance and he took advantage of it and he got the win. Was it due to Kodo's injury? Was it due to Ali be, just being better on this night? I guess we'll never know 100% for sure. But it goes down in the books as a win for Ali. So what's next for him? As I said before, he's got a title. He's got a mandatory. So I believe he's going to stay at 54 and defend that title against Liam Smith. That's a winnable fight for him. That's a title defense. That's a money-making fight for him. When I say money-making fight, I believe he made $600,000 for this fight. Would he make that again if he fights in New York against Liam Smith? I don't know about that. But I perhaps, since he is the champion, Frank Warren would pay some money for him to travel over to the UK to do that fight. 
That remains to be seen. Remember, guys, early next year, networks got money, budgets are open, you know, there's options there. Ali has fought on HBO before. That fight would make plenty of sense in New York, or he could go over to the UK. But he's going to make high six figures again. And for Saddam Ali, that's a high payday. Some people have suggested these should go back down to 147. Uh, I, I don't think so, at least not at this point. If he fights against Liam Smith and loses, fine. But if he defends that title, there are other guys at junior middleweight. It's slim pickings, but there are enough guys there. Look, once he fulfills his mandatory against Smith, he's got a year to do whatever he wants before he has to fulfill his next mandatory. So there are guys out there he could fight. Should he choose to try to uh, unify titles, that's going to be difficult because all that, that division at the top, the titles, are owned by Al Heyman. So that's going to be difficult to work out. Golden Boy and Al Heyman don't like working together. But, you know, I, I don't think Ali would beat the likes of Iris Landi Lara, Jarrett Hurd, or Jamel Charlo. I don't even know if he beats Julian J. Rock Williams. Probably, probably, unless Williams can land something hard. But um, seeing what Williams just did against DJ Smith, it's, it's, it's arguable that Ali would win that fight. But Smith is a PB, or I'm sorry, um, Williams is a, is a PBC guy anyway. So for, for my money, if, if I'm managing the career of Saddam Ali right now, we're staying at 154 and we're defending that title and exploring our options there, and that's that. Uh, how silly does it look right now for guys like Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia who turned down opportunities at Miguel Cotto? Uh, just right now, look, Spence is getting way, way more money uh, against, he's getting seven figures to fight against um, Lamont Peterson. And no doubt, Mikey Garcia will get seven figures uh, for his next fight. Both of those guys would have got seven figures for Kodo as well because it would have elevated that fight. Saddam Ali, think about it, Saddam Ali got 600. He, you know, those guys would have got seven figures for Kodo as well. They wouldn't have made, Golden Boy promotions wouldn't have given him the same offer. And I know it was, multi, it was a multi-fight deal for those guys to fight Kodo. And, but the thing is, guys, you got to see long term. You know, do two or three fights with Golden Boy, fight a couple of their guys, make a couple million dollars or several million dollars and build up your career. Now they miss out on that opportunity. Saddam Ali gets it. And now he's going to make some money for the next year or so. Money that he would not have made had he not taken this chance. Now, for Miguel Cotto, who goes out uh, with a loss, which... Often that's how it works in this sport. It's the most unforgiving of sports, right? There are a lot of people out there that just don't get why so many fans and so many media like and respect Kodo. There are some fans out there that just flat out don't like the guy and don't get it. But in my opinion, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. I don't think he makes it first ballot, but 41-6 and six is his record with 33 knockouts. People focus on the six losses, but he was only stopped twice, and that was against Antonio Margarito, and we'll never, that will be disputed forever or, or discussed and argued about forever, what may or may not have taken place in that fight, right? Um, still, there was a reason Floyd Mayweather, quote-unquote, retired the first time for a year or so, so he wouldn't have to face Antonio Margarito. There were a lot of fighters who were avoiding that guy, and Cotto fought him. 
He fought him when he was the boogeyman. He was the most avoided fighter in the sport at the time, and Cotto fought him. Only stopped against Pacquiao. It was the only other fighter who stopped him, and that was at a catchway to 145, but it's Manny Pacquiao. You look at how Cotto did against Floyd Mayweather. Gave Floyd one of his toughest fights, and this was a faded, past-due-date version of Miguel Cotto. Bloated at 154. That fight should have been at 147, several years earlier. And Cotto still won probably four rounds or so and broke Mayweather's nose. So he was always competitive. I, I believe he ruptured Manny Pacquiao's eardrum in their fight and won some rounds against Pac early on. Um, just stylized Pacquiao is all wrong for him. This man fought everybody. And guys, there are some of you out there who say, well, there was a couple people at 140 he didn't fight or he never fought Paul Williams. There's always some, but you can't fight every single freaking person. But when you look at this guy's run from 140, 147, he really fought everyone. And then you look at the fight with uh, Canelo. Yeah, I get it. The 155-pound catch weight, fine. Canelo is still one of the finest 154-pounders in the world, and he's now grown into, I think, the second-best middleweight in the world. And Cotto fought him. Sergio Martinez. Yeah, we found out later that the guy was broken. But guess what? Floyd Mayweather avoided that guy. Andre Ward, I talked about before, had an opportunity to fight him at a catchweight of 164 pounds, wanted nothing of it. There were several guys that were avoiding Sergio Martinez, and Cotto took that challenge. This man, because of the challenges he took, because of the business he brought to the New York market, and I, the New York market at Madison Square Garden was not thriving the way it is right now when Cotto first took over there. New York, Atlantic City, they occasionally got some fights, but they weren't as jumping as it is right now, where you get fights like Golovkin-Lemieux, Golovkin-Jacobs. Barclays has, has started to really, really take off, even though there's a, there's a wheeling and dealings going on there behind the scenes to paper that thing. Um, still, Cotto was a big, big part of that. And just the entertainment value, taking on all those challenges, winning more than he lost, technically winning titles in four different weight classes, and actually having the lineal middleweight championship for a while, as perverted as that lineage might be, or might have been at that time, he still held it, man. I think this guy gets into the Hall of Fame. Now, this year we had Vladimir Klitschko retire, Floyd Mayweather, quote unquote, retire, right? His last fight. It might be Manny Pacquiao's last fight. Andre Ward, several other guys I could bring up. So if they all really, really stay retired, they really, really don't fight again, five years from now, 2022, when we have the Hall of Fame ballot, only three guys could get in a year. If it's Floyd Mayweather, Vladimir Klitschko, and Andre Ward, well, guess what? Cotto's not getting in that year. So I, I don't necessarily think he's going to get in on the first ballot. And I don't think he's first ballot worthy. If on a weak year, sure. We've had some weak years recently, right? But that's going to be a strong year. We're, we're, some guys now, we're having a real changing of the guard with this pure, previous generation into the new one. And the early 2020s, those ballots are going to be pretty stacked. So Cotto might have to wait to the second or third year, but he's going to get in, guys. He's absolutely Hall of Fame worthy. And I, one guy on Twitter, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name, man, but um, 
you brought up a great comparison to baseball and how statistically, if you look at a guy who, and I can't remember the exact numbers you quoted, but a certain number of hits, a certain number, a certain batting average, maybe a 280 batting average, and maybe you hit 300 home runs in your career and, you know, several hundred RBIs. Good, good, solid career. But is it Hall of Fame worthy in baseball? Probably not. Different sport. Not comparable to boxing. Guys, answer this question. How many fighters have accomplished as much as Miguel Cotto has in boxing in the last 20 or so years? Not many. Seriously, not many. And I don't just mean the titles and all that. I'm talking the, the business, the ratings, the big, big fights, the big, big events. All that matters when it comes to the Hall of Fame. It's not just about record. Sometimes it's about accomplishments. Sometimes it's about big moments. A guy like Arturo Gatti got in because he was in so many fights of the year. He was in fights of the decade. He gave us the round of the century, that ninth round against Mick, uh, Ward, Mickey Ward. That's how he got in. So some guys, it's, it's their impact on the sport, whether it be business-wise or like changing the game. You look at Manny Pacquiao and how he exploded some of the Asian markets, right? And some of the fighters from decades before, how they exploded the Latin markets. You look at what AJ is doing over in the UK and, and the business he's doing. If he keeps that up for 10 more years, that's an impactful changing of the game type of thing that gets him in the Hall of Fame. So it's not just about record. There's a lot of factors here. And all things considered, Miguel Cotto is absolutely a future Hall of Famer. Case closed. That's it. Let's get into the fight preview. This Friday, December 8th, it's a Fox Sports 1 card from Florida. Undefeated light heavyweight prospect from Egypt who now lives in Miami, Ahmed Elbi Ali. Ahmed Elbiali, 16-0, 13 knockouts, headlines against Jean Pascal, who's still ticking. Lost three of his last five over the last two and a half years. Be interesting to see if this Egyptian kid is for real or not. I guess we're going to find out. Uh, good step-up fight for a prospect like that at that stage of his career. Saturday, December 9th, we got a couple of cards. Let's start over in the UK with another Frank Warren card from London. Lee Selby going up against Mexican Eduardo Ramirez. Uh, Mex the Mexican Southpaw Ramirez is coming off a split draw with Leduan Bartholome, one of the Bartholome brothers uh, earlier this year. And for Selby, he's defending his IBF featherweight title for the fourth time in this fight. Uh, he only had one fight last year in 2016. This will be his third fight in 2017. So he's had a much, much better campaign this year than he had last year. He had some nagging things going on that uh, kept him inactive last year. Uh, so good for him. Obviously, I favor him big in this fight. Uh, I think he wins a decision. Not the hardest puncher in the world. Also on this fight, James DeGale. Remember him? James DeGale. Going up against Caleb Truax in a complete layup mismatch of a fight. This should not go the distance. If it does, shame on James DeGale. This is his first bout since his majority draw with Badu Jack in January. Because, remember, that was a title unification, but because it was a majority draw, both men kept their titles. Jack vacated his title, moved up to light heavyweight. Uh, DeGale has stayed at 
168 pounds and will defend his IBF super middleweight title in this fight. Truax has been KO'd by Daniel Jacobs in 2015. It was TKO'd in the first round by Anthony Durrell, of all people, who doesn't hit very hard just last year. It's kind of a freak knockout kind of a thing. But I think James DeGale, even with all the ring rust, should get Truax out of there in the mid to late rounds. If he doesn't, that's a very, very poor performance from him. Also on this card, undefeated light heavyweight prospect Anthony Yard, who is 13-0 with 12 knockouts from London, only had 12 amateur fights. A lot of fans over there, diehard fans, are excited about this kid and his potential. Only 12 amateur fights needs a lot of seasoning, right? He needs rounds and he needs to fight more. He, he's fought often, but he needs to keep that up going into 2018. He's going up against Nikola Shek, Shekloka. Uh, Shekloka's Serbian, and he's fought several quality fighters. Every time he steps up and fights those guys, he loses, but he loses by decision. He goes rounds. He's always gone to the final bell, even when he stepped up against uh, good quality prospects and contenders. I want to say he's fought some guys who have won titles or at least challenged for him by now. So great matchmaking from Frank Warren. I talked earlier in this episode about, um, about Lamont Roach in his fight against Ray Perez and how that was really, really good matchmaking from Golden Boy Promotions. I like this matchmaking from Frank Warren for Anthony Yard. People like to diss Frank Warren because Eddie Hearn is really, really doing the big, big shows right now. Frank Warren's been in this game for a long time, guys. He knows what he's doing, okay? He's not, he doesn't have the juice he used to have, I hear you, but he knows what he's doing, okay? He's been at this for a while. Also on this card, undefeated heavyweight prospect, Daniel Dubois, who is 5-0 with five knockouts, going up against a fighter from Wales, Dorian Darch. Uh, Darch has fought Huey Fury, who he took Fury the distance. He also fought Anthony Joshua and Eddie Chambers. Both of them knocked him out. Even Eddie Chambers knocked this guy out. So I don't think this is going to go many rounds. Uh, Dubois, I, I think in a recent interview, was asked, you know, do you want to get some rounds in? He said, hell no. I'm going to try to knock this guy's head off from the opening bell. Let's see if he keeps his word there. Let's see what happens. Hopefully he gets two or three rounds out of this because that kid really, really needs rounds. Okay, coming over here in America, we have a couple of cards. Let's start with HBO, who has a card from Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. This is a multi-promoter card here. I love this. You know, HBO, a lot of people thought they were dead when Top Rank left. But this card has uh, promoters Fernando Beltran, Eddie Hearn, Tom Loeffler, and of course, uh, Golden Boy Promotions, which is Oscar De La Hoya and Eric Gomez. So you got four different promoters coming together on this card. That's how it's supposed to freaking work, man. Matchups aren't the greatest, but I think we're going to get some fun action here. Tevin Farmer going up against Kenichi Ogawa for the vacant IBF 130-pound title. This is the same title that was stripped from Gervonta Davis, who I talked about earlier. Because uh, he couldn't make weight at 130. So it doesn't look like he's going to stay at 130. I guess he's going to go to 135. I don't know. Either way, Farmer's fighting for this title. Uh, this is a guy who made the news earlier this year because he was shot several times in his hand, right? So um, you might remember that story. 
And he's a Philly fighter going up against a Japanese dude who is fighting outside of Japan for the first time. So I think you can see the way this thing is going. It's also kind of funny, Javante Davis was talking some trash on Twitter about old fighters getting in the way of these young fighters. He was referring to Miguel Cotto and Saddam Ali. And Farmer kind of called him out and quoted his tweet and said, I respect the old school. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so Tarver kind of checked Javante Davis on Twitter. I enjoyed that. Uh, sometimes the Twitter back and forth is annoying. Sometimes it's kind of entertaining. But uh, Tarver, to me, seems like a class kid. You know, he just seems like a good guy. I, obviously, I like him big in this fight. The thing with the Japanese fighters, though, they come over here and they give an effort. And they're tough. So if you're thinking this is going to be some blowout, knockout kind of fight, no. Probably going the distance, but it's going to be a wide decision for Farmer. Now, we got Francisco Vargas going up against Stephen Smith. Vargas is coming off his KO 11 loss to Miguel Burchell in January. This dude has had three rough fights in a row. He went up against Takashi Miura in 2015 in that fight of the year. Orlando Salido in 2016 in that fight of the year. I was lucky enough, privileged enough to be ringside for both of those events. And then he fought Miguel Burchelt in January. Those are three hard, devastatingly hard fights in a row. And now he's coming into this fight with Stephen Smith, who is a Liverpool native, had a TKO 8 loss to Lee Selby in 2011, who, as I said, doesn't hit that hard. He's also had unanimous decision losses to Jose Pedraza and Jason Sosa last year. All things considered, if Vargas has anything left in the tank, anything, he should get Smith out of there in the later rounds. If he doesn't, he's shot and he needs to retire because he's levels above in terms of craft than Smith. I think Smith, or I'm sorry, um, Var Vargas is one of those fighters that is unfairly characterized as just a limited brawler who can't do much in there. He actually has craft. I thought he won against Orlando Salido. I thought he won 115-113 in that fight. I thought he had more craft than Salido. And I think that his craft, his infighting and all that, and the long break he's had. He's had 11 months out of the ring. He needed it. I think it's going to be enough to get a late stoppage against Smith. Also on this card, I don't know, if, I don't think this one's televised, but uh, Dennis Shafikov against Rene Alvarado. I think it's going to be a good quality scrap. There should be, at least be a stream of this out there somewhere. Uh, Shafikov coming off a loss to Robert Easter in June. The scores were really, really wide in that fight. Uh, Easter is an Ohio fighter. That fight was in Ohio. And I think one judge had it like 10 rounds to two or something. That was a competitive fight. Shafikov was competitive. He lost the fight. Easter won the fight. But Shafikov was competitive. And for Alvarado, the Nicaraguan, he's been matched tough in his whole career. He always goes rounds. He always does a great job for Golden Boy, giving people rounds. The style of these two fighters, their lack of really high elite level type power, their strong chins. This is going the distance, but it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So if you can watch that one, do it. And the main event, Orlando Salido, Miguel Roman, or Mickey Roman as he's called sometimes. Salido's 37 years old, been in so many wars. He has more skills, more craft than Roman, particularly the inside fighting, which I think is um, underrated with Salido. I, I think his craft on the inside is underrated and underappreciated. Roman is 32 years old, but he's an old 32. Salido's an old 37. This one just comes down to... 
Who has more juice left? You know, last night I called into a boxing show um, on the grueling truth. And those guys are awesome there. And the neutral corner is going to be start. Um, they're starting to post the TNC now on that site every week. So I'm partnering up with those guys and I'll be doing that show a lot more often. And we were talking about this matchup and I said when we were previewing it, you know, sometimes on paper, this has the look of a can't miss all action fight. They're going to go at it hardcore from the opening bell. But both guys have been in a lot of wars, particularly Salido. And I, I just have this gut feeling that this fight is not going to quite live up to some of the expectations people have for it. It's going to be a quality fight. It's going to be a good quality fight. It's just not going to be one of those great Salido wars that we're used to. That's just not what I see here. I like Salido by decision in a fight that, again, good quality scrap, but probably not even the best fight on this card, to be honest. That's just the gut feeling I have. Now, the big fight is on ESPN, and that is between Vasyl Lomachenko and Guillermo Rigondeau. This is an ESPN card uh, t from top rank, another one, and this is the best matchup they've made so far in this deal that top rank has with ESPN. This is also from Madison Square Garden. New York, which was dead early this year with fights. And I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not including Brooklyn. I'm talking about the city, Madison Square Garden. Man, they've had a great end to this year. They've really, really had some, some great uh, cards. Just a lot of action, just a lot going on here toward the end of the year. Um, but also on this card, Shakur Stevenson, Michael Conlon, Bryant Jennings, and Christopher Diaz, who's an undefeated Puerto Rican 130-pound prospect, they're all on the undercard, all have layups. All layups, they're all going to score stoppage wins. So not even worth breaking down those fights. I think they'll be streamed on the ESPN app. So download the ESPN app, and you can see those fights if they're not televised. And who I, I don't know the situation, guys, if this is going to start on ESPN Deportes and then go to ESPN2, and we're going to have... All that stuff going on. I don't know what's on before this thing starts. Hopefully ESPN is smart enough to make sure that the main event, which is one of the biggest, most important matchups of the year, is on ESPN and not one of the other 22 networks they have. So, Vasyl Lomachenko. 9-1 as a pro is 7 knockouts. 396-1 and one as an amateur. 2 Olympic golds. Going up against Guillermo Rigondeau, 17-0, 11 knockouts as a pro, 463-12 and 12 as an amateur, two Olympic golds. These records are insane. Insane. Lomachenko's 5'6", 65-inch reach, 29 years old. He's a southpaw. Guillermo Rigondeau, 5'4", 68-inch reach. He has very long arms. 37 years old. And we don't know. He's Cuban. That could really be 47. He's also a southpaw. Quick news from the WBA in their never-ending stupidity. For some reason, they announced that if Guillermo Rigondeau loses this fight, which is at 130 pounds for Lomachenko's title there at 130, Rigondeau's WBA super 122-pound title, which is super bantamweight, that title will go vacant. Obviously, if Rigondeau wins this fight, He'll have a title at 130, so I guess that 122-pound title would go vacant as well. Although the WBA didn't specify that. They said only if he loses. 
it's it's just so bizarre and strange why they do that. I, I don't quite understand. That's never been done before that I can remember. The WBA just never ending stupidity and just illogical decisions. I, I can't understand it. A lot of people are making, I think, too much out of the weight here. Vasily Lomachenko started his career at 126 pounds. He moved up to 130 because everybody at 126 was ducking him. He couldn't get any fights at 126. He had to go to 130. Plus, he wanted another title in another weight class. Guillermo Rigondeaux, people talk about how he was a bantamweight in the amateurs. Yes. Won his gold titles at bantamweight. Yes. But his entire pro career, he's fought at 122. It's not as if he started at 118 and moved up to 122 because everyone at 118 was ducking him. In fact, a lot of people at 122 have ducked him, but he didn't move up to 126. So I, I don't know, man. I think that Rigando, a lot of his issues with not getting big fights and not getting his just due and all that, it's on him. He's made some very, very poor business decisions with his promoters and everything else. You know, Lomachenko has moved up in weight already, won a second title in a second weight class. That's something Rigando should have did a while ago. If he was a part of that featherweight division, he could be getting big fights and making more money, I think. But I think the reason why he didn't do that is because there's some punchers in that division and Rigando has had issues being dropped. Vasily Lomachenko has never been dropped as a pro. When he fought Orlando Salido in his second pro fight, a guy who cheated on the weight, Salida was basically a welterweight and was punching Lomachenko in the balls all night long. Loma never went down, never took a knee. Rigado has been dropped by Ricardo Cordoba, Nonito Donaire, and Hisashi Amagasa. Been dropped four times in his career. So maybe that's why he didn't move up and he stayed at 122. But for this fight, at this point in his career, he's deciding to move up and take this challenge. Props to him for it. I don't think the weight's going to have anything to do with this matchup. I mean, a, a little bit, a little bit. I think youth will have more to do with it. Lomachenko's the much younger guy. I think, uh, but, you know, you look at length, Rigo's got the longer arms. So from the outside, he can do just fine. I don't think that the, the size difference is going to be that big of a factor. I think this fight's about skills, guys. Skills pay the bills. And at this point in their career, the guy who has the better pro style is Lomachenko. Rigano, you want you really, really take take a hard look at his resume as a pro. He fought Nonito Donaire four and a half years ago, and that was a great win. And that put him on the scene as a pound-for-pound -pound player. Absolutely. But he hasn't fought an elite-level opponent since, hasn't fought a top-rated opponent since. Maybe just under elite. Okay, I'm talking B plus level. Hasn't done that. Lomachenko fought Salido in his second pro fight. Lost, technically. I won't get into all the shenanigans there again. Fought Gary Russell in his very next fight. Now, that was in, both of those were in 2014. And he hasn't fought who anyone I would call an elite-level opponent since then. But he's fought better opposition overall than Rigando has in that same time. And he's dominated that opposition much more clearly. He hasn't been dropped or hurt or anything like Rigo has. He's also been more active, man. Rigo has fought two fights since... In the last two years, since November 2015, Rigo's fought twice and they went three rounds. So he's fought three rounds since November 2015. 
The last long fight he had was November 2015, a dr dreadful fight against Drian Francisco, a guy he should have knocked out, on that Cotto Canelo co-main. I was there for that one. Wow. And that was after we had just seen the fight of the year between Vargas and Miura. And oh, that was horrible. Lomachenko, though, over that same time, over the last two years, since November of 2015, has gone 28 rounds in four fights against better opposition. So Lomachenko is just sharper. That sword is sharper right now. And there's going to be excuses because I actually think this is going to be a fairly decisive, I don't want to say dominant, I don't want to use that word, but decisive victory for Lomachenko where he's actually wearing Rigado down, down the stretch and has him retreating. I see a 116-112, maybe even 117-111 type of score for Vasily Lomachenko in this fight. Maybe even one score of 118-110. That's what I see here. I think it'll be even after four rounds, it'll be competitive halfway through. But I think Lomachenko might sweep the late rounds. Maybe Rigo gets a round in there or something like that. But I, I actually don't think this fight's going to be as close as people believe it will be. Simply because... Lomachenko is the sharper guy who's been fighting more, fighting more consistently, uh, more rounds, improving with every fight, showing new wrinkles. Rigando's doing the same thing he's been doing. And at that age, in his late 30s, you got to fight rounds, man. You got to fight rounds. Skills pay the bills. On the outside, Rigo's going to have his moments early on. Vasil's going to start timing him, start spinning him, moving him. And he's going to start getting inside. And that's actually where I think that experience against Orlando Salido is going to pay off in this fight. So all these young fighters who spend years, two dozen fights fighting absolute nobodies to pad their records, Lomachenko is going to show why you should go right into it if you really feel you're ready, even if you got to take a loss. That Orlando Salido experience is going to pay off in this fight because the moments when they are on the inside, I think Loma's going to beat them up. I think Loma's going to beat him up to the body and spin him and get out of there. I don't see Rigado doing anything once the fight's at mid-range or on the inside or once they're sideways, once their angles are moving and spinning. A lot of feints, not much action in the first half of this fight, but Rigo just doesn't do enough. He's not busy enough. I see Lomachenko winning a decision on this card, and depending on how... Why the decision is, we can have the pound-for-pound pound talk. Right now, he's the second or third best fighter pound-for-pound pound in the world. If this is a close fight and it's controversial or something, that ranking might drop. Maybe Regando's ranking increases. We'll have to discuss that later on. But if it's a wide, nine rounds to three kind of decision over a guy like Guillermo Regando, we can have that discussion possibly Vasily Lomachenko is the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. If I'm completely wrong and I'm making an ass of myself and I'm proven wrong by Guillermo Rigondeaux and he beats Vasily Lomachenko and does it clearly, guys, he's the best fighter in the world pound-for-pound. Pound. I'll say it right now. I'll eat my crow. I'll own it. Let me know what you guys think. Comment below. Like, share, subscribe. Get on iTunes and subscribe. SoundCloud, Stitcher, all that good stuff, guys. Spread the word about the podcast. I'll see you at the fights.